hypnotic with heroin addict. Um, thanks for asking me to speak. I always like speaking. Um, I uh, so I started late. I was like 18 when I started smoking weed. Um, and I kind of like smoked weed at my mom because I did not like that woman. Like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna smoke. I hated the experience because I got paranoid, but I, I kept smoking because I felt like one of the cool kids, right? Um, so I started smoking weed at 18. And then uh, by the time I was 19, um, first time I ever used opiates, I shot up heroin. And I, I did not like that either, to be honest with you. Um, I started throwing up all day long. And, uh, and then the next day I shot up some more heroin and I threw up all day long, you know? And it, <laughs> I did that for a couple of days and then like the tolerance went up and I enjoyed it. But I didn't fall in love with heroin until uh, until I withdrawed the first time. And then I got some more heroin. And I was like, oh, fucking thank God. You know, mm. it was awful. And uh, and then I fell in love. So that's how it started for me was uh, trying to be one of the cool kids. I like threw parties um, for a senior year in high school and uh, and everybody fucking showed up. You know, like we didn't have enough have enough room in my house for all the people. And uh, and the next day at school. This is like my I have arrived moment. Uh, the next day at school, nobody fucking knew my name. It's a hard name to pronounce. And uh, and I was walking down the hallway and these two girls, they were cute, by the way, uh, walked down the hall next to me. Didn't even know it was me, but they said, I heard this guy Janik threw at a huge party. And it was super cool. And I was like, I'm, you know, I made it. You know, this is my highlight moment. Uh, that was my glory year. Um, and then, yeah, I just like fell in love with doing the wrong thing, being a rebel and uh, <clears throat> Being a cool kid actually like took a little bit too far. I started like bullying people uh, when I was a senior in high school. Um, felt shitty doing it, but I felt like super powerful doing it too. Like one time on, on uh, in PE class, this kid was running next to me and he was a nerd, you know. So I pushed him right as we got next to this mud, like this whole muddy area. This poor kid like fell into the mud and just was covered in it. And, uh, and I was like, fuck, I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, Totally forgot his name though, so I can't make amends. But I got I got wrapped up in like in being the bad guy, you know. I loved being the bad guy. Anytime I watched a movie, I'm like, like Hannibal Lecter, like that's my guy, you know. And uh, and I even when I got sober this time, I had a feeling that uh, that I might be kind of a sociopath because I had thoughts, I had crazy thoughts. I love that uh, you were talking about crazy thoughts. Um, so I had this thought of uh, I wonder how it would feel to kill someone. Right. And I, I first had to tell my sponsor this because I didn't want to fucking let anybody know this shit. Um, so I wonder how it would feel to kill someone and like look into their eyes as they passed on. Like that would be a cool experience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Um, so first I'll tell you about how how my journey ended with heroin. It got down to the point where I needed it every single day. Otherwise, I'm sick. And I started mixing it with meth because heroin got boring after a couple of years of doing it all the time. So I'd mix it together. And, uh, and I became homeless. My parents kicked me out a long time ago for smoking weed. And, uh, and I was homeless for a while, just like sleeping in a stairwell with like three blankets kind of layered on top of each other as a bed. Um, and I had a girlfriend, actually it was an, a fiance of mine. <laughs> so stupid, but uh, like didn't even have sex with her for like a year because I'm on heroin. I'm like, I don't even fucking care. <laughs> you know? And like, sometimes I'll sleep in her trunk uh, because her dad, like if her dad knew I was sleeping in the car, like came out in the morning, be pissed. So I had to get in the trunk and sleep in there. <laughs> Just a mess, right? It gets even messier, dude. After that, um, came down here for treatment like seven years ago. And, uh, and then I was like, 
wasn't homeless down here because I get sober for like six months and then I would go back out. Um, and there would just be like just a mattress in my room and that's it. With just like a spoon next to it and a bunch of like fucking charcoal all over the place because the spoon's all burnt and shit. And uh, I didn't have a car, so I had to walk around. And I remember this one time I was waiting for my drug dealer like I fucking did every single day. I'd just wait around thinking like, this is the last straw, you know, like, I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> I deserve to be treated better than this, you know? Um, and then I'd, I'd sit there and think like, dude, you know, you're not going anywhere. You will wait here as long as it takes. And I waited there as long as it fucking took. And this one time I had this dealer that was a chick and I thought about robbing her so many freaking times, but I didn't get up the courage <laughs> to do it because I'm a pussy. Um, so she's like maybe like 80 pounds. Right. And she's doped up on Xanax and just, blacks out forgets i'm even outside waiting so this one time i was waiting for her <clears throat> and uh and i started withdrawing i had to take shit so i just like went into the bushes and took shit and i had one sock that's it it was my lucky sock that's all i had left <laughs> that's all i had left was one sock so i uh so i took the sock off and i was like you know i need something to wipe with so i wiped up my lucky sock and uh luckily like when you have heroin shits you don't really have much residue but uh i was like I'm not going to throw it away, right? So I put my lucky sock back on and, uh, <laughs> and I just like waited for her to bring out the heroin. She came with this like fucking horse needle. I didn't have any needles left. Oh God, I was just bleeding all over the place. And I worked as a waiter in San Clemente at, um, it's called Writer's Club. And uh, and I was shooting up in the bathroom because I, I can't make it all the way through an eight hour shift without using, like there's no way. So I'd shoot up in the bathroom and uh, and i'd be serving these people food with blood like running down my arms it's just i'd have to try for a while to get it you know it's just a nightmare um and that's how my using went yeah that's pretty much how <laughs> it was a disaster it was not cool it wasn't fun i remember when i first got out here um i'd go to like the bars to hit on chicks right and my favorite one would be like oh, yeah i used to be an extra or i'd be like oh you're so sexy you know think in my head like <laughs> I think in my head, like what it actually was like, and I'm like, you guys are so dumb. Like, it's not attractive at all. It's so disgusting. Yeah. But anyway, um, sobriety is mainly what I want to talk about. So I'll focus on that. Um, when I got sober this time, um, I'll talk about last time first. So I got sober last time. I had 11 months and I had three sponsors. So I got all the way through my 12 steps. Right. And, uh, and I was expecting some miracle. And, uh, and it just didn't happen for me. I was like, not really all that excited about life still. Uh, sponsoring people was cool. And, uh, and it was just, I wanted to do something crazy. You know, I was like, life is getting boring. I want to do something crazy. So me and my friends planned a trip to EDC and I love raves. I fell in love with raves when I was like 18. I love that shit. Um, and this guy at the rave, my first day at the rave was sober. I had a blast. And the second day at the rave, um, this guy just put out a line of ketamine in front of me and he said, uh, do you want to hit? And before he even finished the sentence, I sniffed it up, you know, didn't even think about it. It literally didn't even cross my mind. I just sniffed it up. And right after I did it, I was like, fuck, how am I going to tell my sponsees? And the next thought is like, nah, they'll never find out. I'll be good. You know, <laughs> they're not going to know. I'm just going to party while I'm here in Vegas. And then when I get back home, I'll be fine. <clears throat> my friend that I brought with me is not an alcoholic. He had some Molly. A little bit left over after the rave. Who has Molly left over after a rave? That's what I'm thinking. But um, crazy. And he's like, here, can you hang on to this for me? I'll probably use it in like a month or two. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'll hang on to that for you. Not a problem. Um, 
And so I found a needle and I shot out the molly immediately, like the hour I got back. And I did not enjoy it all that much. It made me like super hot and sweaty. And, uh, and I was like, I need to go find some heroin. So I went down to the, the beach in San Clemente at like 12 o'clock at night and found some like, I don't know, 17 year old wannabe gangbangers that knew where to find heroin. And uh, I bought some heroin and I was off for like three months. And, um, and so when I was using, I got my girlfriend pregnant and, uh, and I was like, fuck, I'm going to be a dad. Like, oh shit. Um, so I, I already kind of wanted to be sober again. Cause when you get sober and go through the 12 steps and go back out, you feel like shit, you don't enjoy it, you know? And you just thinking the whole time you're using, they're thinking like, oh, eventually I'll get back to that fucking program, you know? And, uh, and so that was the push I needed. I was like, I'm not going to be able to stay sober on my own. So I guess I'll go back to AA. So when I was an impatient, I asked the guy to sponsor me immediately. And, uh, and every week we met up and went through a step at a time. And anytime he told me to do something, I did it that night. I just did it. And I didn't really hang out with people in the sober living. I just walked. I lived next to Aragon. Um, so I just walked like, it took like an hour to walk there. So I walked to Aragon and they usually had like a couple meetings going at a time. So I just stay all the way through because I had nothing better to do. You know, I had no car, no job, nothing. Um, so I'd go to like, I don't know, nine or 10 meetings a week for like months, just kind of doing that thing, going to treatment. And that was my life. And it was chill. I was chill with it. And uh, I finished my steps in about six months. I started uh, doing like little things of uh, service. Like I would do someone else's chore in the sober living and, uh, and I wouldn't tell anyone about it um, just because somebody told me to do it. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. You know, whatever you need. I'm done with shooting heroin. Um, so I started doing little things like that or like going to the grocery store and I knew this guy like loved this certain type of drink. So I bought a couple of certain types of drinks, put it in the fridge and didn't say anything. And, uh, and I went to a lot of the beach meetings here and people always leave trash at those beach meetings. There's always trash there. So I went around picking up cigarette butts and throwing it in the trash, you know, quietly. And uh, another thing I did was I started texting my sponsor a gratitude list every day, been doing that for years now. Um, so every night, he told me to meditate and think about my life without three things and how it would be and to actually feel the gratitude for these three things. So I started simple with like a toothbrush and a shower and, uh, and like some shampoo because I went for quite a while without showering. And I remember the feeling of that first shower after being homeless. I was like, thank God for a shower. Um, it was an amazing feeling. And, uh, and so I started simple with things like that and I just kind of kept doing it and that it got me into meditation too. Um, after meditating for like, I say six months, um, I had, I had like a white light experience where my God kind of entered me and, uh, that sounds super weird, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. I had, uh, I had kind of this white, like I was envisioning my body and then like a white light filling it and I felt completely loved and, uh, and whole. And, and that was amazing for me. I felt like I was floating. So I sat there and did it for like 30 minutes. I'm like, how long can I make this feeling last? You know, I'm such a drug addict with it. Um, and I've been doing it every day since. I love meditation these days, but I didn't enjoy it for six months straight. That was a hassle. Um, and so I'd like to get back to the crazy thoughts. Um, some of my crazy thoughts when I'm sober is like, I'll be driving down the freeway and, uh, I'll be like, man, I need to shake things up a little bit. Like, what will happen if I just take my wheel and I just yank it? You know, like, what will happen? And uh, and another crazy thought. Um, so there's 
oh man, there's this guy that's just bugging the shit out of me right now. I still have crazy thoughts these days. But there's this guy that's bugging the shit out of me, right? And he goes to one of my meetings that I go to weekly. He's got maybe like 60 days, 90 days, something like that, right? And he always gets up and shares every single week. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Um, but he like starts saying, at least every single share, he starts off like, welcome to the newcomers. You know, like I found my home here. I'm like, dude, you're fucking new, man. Like, shut up. It just drives me nuts. But, uh, but a crazy thought will pop and thought and like cross through my head. I'm like, I'm going to slash this guy's tires, you know, or, or <laughs> just to show him. Cause he's bigger than me. I'm not gonna go up and fight him, you know. Like I'm kicking my ass. Oh man! <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna get this guy, right? So I've been, I've been like praying for him. And I hope he finds everything that I want out of sobriety, you know, because that's what I was told to do. Mainly sobriety is just about like follow the leader, you know. You just kind of like follow direction from someone in front of you that knows better than you do. Um, <clears throat> Another thing I was taught is that we're all, um, as an alcoholic or an addict, whatever, same exact thing, uh, we're self-destructive in nature. So if you let your mind control your actions, you're going to kill yourself. It's just where it's going. You know, you're just going to ruin your life and kill yourself because that's what your disease wants. And so when someone else is guiding you, uh, their disease has no intention of killing you. It doesn't, that doesn't even bother with you. It's just about them. Right. So I found it to be true in my life. I can, I have sponsees. And when they come to me with a, with a decision or a question, I'm like, that's a stupid decision, man. Like, why would you even think that? And then I'll go to my own sponsor with some of my choices. And he's like, I wouldn't recommend it, you know? <laughs> and so it's just, I make, I make dumb decisions for my own life and I'm really good at directing other people's lives. And sometimes I go a little bit too far with that. I'm like, Hey, maybe you should do this. And I'm not even sponsoring the person. You know, I'm just like handing out advice where it's not welcome. Um, I got plenty of character defects I could talk about, but, you know, that's, you know, one day at a time, just let God handle that stuff. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the third step is one of my favorites, um, turning my will in my life over to the care of God, as I understand them. Um, for a long time, I didn't like anything religious because I was, I was brought up in a Catholic home and, uh, my grandma's nuts, dude. She's a nut job about Jesus. And, um, and so like anything with magic in it is the devil's show or like, I like wearing like, I like wearing shirts that have like skulls and roses or like maybe some a little satanic shit and, uh, and she'll lose it. She'll just lose it. One time, uh, one time as a joke, I like went and got a, a, a pedicure with some girlfriends of mine and, uh, and she just got so mad. She's like, you better get that shit off your body right now. I'm like, you're crazy, dude. When I just went and cleaned it up. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get a good vibe from the whole Catholic fucking religion shit. And if that's your deal, totally fine with me. It's just uh, still to this day, when I go into a church, I feel uncomfortable. I'm like, ugh, nervous. If someone tells me like, hey, do you love Jesus? I'm like, I'm out, you know, no, thank you. I'm out. But, uh, but I definitely love my God, you know? And uh, turning my will and my life over, it's funny because back when I was newer, I'm still pretty new, like two and a half years, not all that much time. But back when I was newer and I'd get asked to lead or like share something, my, I was like, I'm nervous, you know, like, what do I do? And I asked my sponsor and he's like, well, why don't you let God in first? And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean like God in first? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, nowadays, after I had that kind of that spiritual experience of having that white light experience, my meditation, uh, that's what I do. You know, before I lead or share in a meeting, I meditate and I, I kind of let God into my body and it fills me with love and it kicks the fear out, you know, 
and uh, and it's easier to just kind of be honest in my shares and uh, and just kind of tell you my experience with it and and it just kind of comes off better because usually when i'm scared i'm just sitting up here like uh you know and i start shaking and uh, and i can still do that sometimes these days because i'm very much addicted to red bulls and if i drink too many i'll have a panic attack and and I'll just come share it. I'll be like, my heart's beating out of my chest. Like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about shit right now. Um, but with the third step nowadays, what I, what I, what I think about is uh, I have, so I have a daughter, right. And she's about a year and a half old now, almost two. And uh, when she gets scared, like I'll let her run around the playground and play. And, and when she gets scared, she runs behind my leg and hugs my leg, you know, cause she knows that I'm safe. And, uh, and that's kind of how I think of, the third step nowadays like turning my will in my life over is uh and i'll kind of i'll kind of run around and i'll play and sometimes i'll pick up something that i shouldn't be playing with you know in life and uh and it'll freak me out a little bit and then i'll kind of run and hide behind my god's legs real quick and that's kind of how i see it so i'll like i'll connect myself into it i'll pray i'll meditate i'll help another alcoholic uh, go to a meeting share all these things are just different ways for me to connect into my higher power and feel safe. And that way it's, it's easier for me to be of maximum service to my fellow man. You know, as I say, it's my primary purpose. So my goal in life is to be a, as helpful as possible to other people. Cause I've taken a lot, take a lot of shit from people. I remember uh, my mom uh, had a whole bunch of jewelry, right? My parents make a lot of money and, uh, and nothing ever went missing in that house until I turned 19 and all of a sudden shit just started going missing, you know? And they're like, maybe it's my drug addict son. And I'm like, it wasn't me, you know, <laughs> I'm the only one there. But um, I stole I stole every single piece of jewelry that that woman had, except for her wedding ring um, and this one necklace. Right. And so one time I came in there and I was just withdrawing and I needed something. So I looked through the cupboards again because they're not home. And I found that one necklace. Right. And I took it to the pawn shop that I always went to, you know, feel comfortable going to the same place over and over again. So I always went there and they knew that I was a drug addict. This is not my shit. So I tried to give them this golden necklace and they offered me like 40 or 50 bucks for it. And I was like, something like hit me. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, like, it's just, I can't do this. And I took it back home. Um, and I didn't get high that day. I continued to get high after that. It's not really like some spiritual awakening, but I didn't get high that day. Right. And, uh, and I put the necklace right back where I found it so they wouldn't know that I took it. And when I got sober, she wore that necklace in front of me fucking nonstop. And every time I saw it, I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> and she had no idea that I tried to take it. She was, she just loved that neck. It might have been because she was the only one she fucking had left. But <laughs> yeah, word from me all the time. And every time I saw it, I was like, thank God I didn't steal that necklace, you know, because it looks good on her. And another time, um, my sister, I love my sister to death, and, uh, and she had jewelry too, and I'm like stealing her shit, and, uh, and she just wanted to know where it was, so she could go buy it back, and I wasn't going to tell her, like, I gave it straight to some, like, dude on the street, like, you're not going to get that back, you know, she's like, just tell me where you got it, and I'll go buy it back, and, uh, and I wouldn't tell her, you know, because I didn't really have an answer for her, I'm like, you know, Big D's got your necklace, like, what do you want me to say, <laughs> I have no idea, um, and so she asked me, she was like, I just want to know what happened to my little brother. And, uh, and I started bawling and I was loaded. I was on heroin and I started bawling. I'm like, shit, dude, this sucks. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other things I did take from take and take from people. But, uh, 
but nowadays I have a lot to give back and I love giving back, you know, like after doing it for a little bit, um, you kind of fall in love with this AA thing for a long time. I hated it. I hated all the sayings. I hated all the old timers. I hated being told what to do, but if you do it for a period of time, if you're desperate enough to do it for a period of time, you'll fall in love with it. You'll get something out of it. And then it won't be a chore anymore. At least that's my experience with it. It won't be a chore anymore. I love going to meetings. Um, I still go to like six or seven a week just because I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy socializing. I like being around my people. Um, and I got two and a half years sober. Like I could probably, I could probably chill out, you know, I could probably go to like maybe two or three. At least that's what my head tells me. I could chill out a little bit, but, uh, but I love it. You know, I love going to meetings. I love sponsoring people. Um, and it just gives me so much like recently the last two days. Uh, so I'm going through a custody battle with the mother of my kid to like get more visitation rights. She's an alcoholic too. And she has some fear around it. And like, she's a great mom. She's a good person. I don't want to say anything bad about her, uh, but she's scared to let me have my daughter on overnight. So I'm like, all right, let's go to court. Um, and so I, I missed a mediation appointment, right? She texted me yesterday. I think it was yesterday. She texted me like, just wondering like, why weren't you there? And, uh, and I thought my lawyer was going to let me know, like if I had to do anything. So I sent him an angry email. I'm like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> Cause I felt like an asshole. And, uh, and today I read over, like I got all the emails from her lawyer and, and I read her whole fucking story about what's been going on. And I'm just sitting there reading this thing like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you know, the whole way through. And, uh, and I had a shit day. And then uh, I had a new, a new guy ask me to sponsor him. And today was the day to meet up with him. He's on um, some quarantine lockdown. So I had to FaceTime. I never FaceTime a sponsor before. I'm not a FaceTime kind of guy. Uh, but I FaceTimed him and I went through step one with him. And, uh, and I feel great, you know, and doing this, I feel great doing this stuff. And, uh, and it just turns my mind around, you know, because if I sit in a shitty mood uh, for long enough, nowadays, because I've been sober for a decent amount of time, um, the first thing that would happen if I'm in a shitty mood is if someone talks to me in a way I don't want to be talked to, I'll snap, you know, and I'll, I'll hurt some people and, uh, and I'll think about, I'll think about hurting people all day long. Um, and, uh, but eventually it would get to the point where I think like, you know, a drink sounds good. You know, I don't usually just jump straight back to heroin. It's always drinking that gets me first. Um, I'm like, man, it drinks, I need a, I need a break. Like it's been a rough week, you know, I deserve a break. And, uh, and I did that, I think like seven or eight times I gave myself a break, you know? And, uh, and that night I shot heroin every single time. And I'm like, it's going to be different this time. <laughs> I need a break. You know, uh, I go crazy when I don't work the steps or like do any of AA stuff. Like I'll go completely nuts. I'll give you an example. This is another crazy thought. So I was dating this chick, right? And uh, okay, this is a little, this is a little bad. Hopefully you guys don't judge me too much. But anyway, um, so I was the youngest in my family, right? And my mom came home, like verbally yelled at us every fucking day. She like had to find somebody to yell at us for. And I was the one that got the brunt of it because some of these shit rolls downhill, right? And, uh, and so what I started doing was I started tormenting little animals like cats and shit, like pulling their tails and like bugging the fuck out of them. And it started growing into like small dogs. I would like fuck with small dogs. I know, I'm sorry. Um, and so I was dating this chick that had a small dog and uh, and didn't, nothing came up. Like it's only if I'm like alone with a small dog and they're like growl at me that I'm like, you want to fucking go, bitch? You know? It's nuts. Um, okay, anyway, so um, 
I broke <laughs> up with this chick and, uh, and I was mad that she didn't take me back the next day. Cause I'm just so indecisive. Right. I'm like, I want you back. She's like, no. So I got pissed. So my thought was, hmm. so my thought was I'm going to hang this dog from the balcony. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm going to see her face. I'll park outside and I'll wait for her to get home so I can see her face when she gets back. And that'll be my revenge. I never did it. You know, I never did it, but but that was my thought. And that's how crazy I can get when I'm sober and I don't work the 12 steps. I'm just completely nuts, right? And, uh, and I'm not gonna lie, even when I do work the 12 steps, I'm still a little bit crazy. Like I didn't see that girl for maybe a year and I'd finished my steps by that point. And, uh, and she came up and told me that, uh, that, you know, it was great to like reconnect and stuff like that. But she, she told me that her dog died. And I was like, whoa, like what happened? She was like, it, it got ran over by a car and it got decapitated. And on the outside, I was like, that sucks. I'm sorry. And on the inside, I was just laughing. Man. I was like, because <laughs> I'm, oh yeah, I'm still crazy. Um, I'm sorry if you guys love dogs. Like I love animals to death. It's just something about small dogs that just gets to me. Yeah. Don't leave it. No, nowadays I'm fine with it. Like it really doesn't bug me, but I can still, I can still kind of like laugh on the inside when the sick shit comes up. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, if you have sick thoughts here, welcome. Cause you know, a lot of us do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where are we at? Do I have like another 10 minutes? Five minutes. Okay. Um, I'll talk about some guy shots. So I went to a meeting one time and again, people in meetings can piss me off because this program literally fucking saved my life because I would have used heroin until the day that I died. I knew that for sure. I was never going to stop. And every time I got sober, I knew I was going to go back um, until I found God. Right. And, uh, and I heard this guy leading a meeting saying like, all you got to do is just don't drink and go to meetings. And I got mad. I was like, that doesn't work you know like not if you're like me it doesn't work to just not drink and go to meetings you gotta actually do something and then uh and then this other lady started sharing she said that um uh if you're sober and you go back to drugs you're making a conscious choice to go back to drugs like it's on you at that point and again i'm like do you even know what step one means like fucking seriously and i'm just sitting there being quiet you know and, uh, and then this third guy shares, I lost it after this, this third guy shares, and he starts talking about Moses, like part in the Red Sea. And I'm like, we're in a meeting, like, you don't fucking, whatever. So I'm getting mad, right? So my daughter's name is Katarina. I got to name her after my sister that died of a heroin overdose. And, uh, and it's not a very common name, right? So we're sitting at Doheny, and there's like our bonfire pit, we're having a meeting, and then another bonfire pit, just people hanging out. And, uh, and it's like late, it's like nine o'clock at night and I start leaving, it's dark. And this little kid, this little girl, maybe like two or three, just comes running up next to me. She's like jogging because my legs are a lot longer than hers. And, uh, and she's just smiling up at me. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And her mom calls her because obviously she doesn't want her running next to some stranger that looks like a drug addict, you know, <laughs> in the park. Um, and she says, Katerina, come back here. And so right after I just got pissed at all these people, um, she says that, and it's just this like little girl looking up at me, smiling. It has the same name as my daughter, and uh, and all I could think about, all I could see was like God kind of smirking at me, like "Gotcha, bitch," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I've had a lot of little moments like that. Like um, uh, another one is I got pissed at this chick. So there was this girl I was interested in, right? And she said that she wanted to date me, and then a week later she changed her mind. And I was like, well, fine. <laughs> And, 
and I got pissed, right? And I was just sitting in my head and I was driving home and, uh, and I have this thing about coyotes because like I ran into a coyote when I was using heroin and it almost fucking ate me. But uh, I have this thing about coyotes, right? So I was driving home and a coyote like runs right in front of my car in Sacramento. And I was like, oh, look at that. Cool, I haven't seen one of those in a while. And then I drive home, which is in Laguna Niguel. And uh, it's like a 15 minute drive. And this another fucking coyote just comes out of the bushes and runs right in front of my car, stops and looks at me, and then runs on. And I'm like, wow, fuck, look at that, dude, in like 15 minutes. And again, I just see God just like giving me a little smirk. It's like, hey, bud, still here for you, you know? And uh, what I've found in my sobriety is that um, whenever I want God to show up, uh, he doesn't usually show up, but whenever I need him to, and I'm not even thinking about it, like it just kind of fucking happens. Like it happens whenever I need it to, and it's just at the right moment at the right time. And, uh, and every time it happens, it just kind of grows my, my faith in this thing. So for me to, to turn my will and my life over to something like that, I don't even know, like, first off, I had to feel it, which I felt it when I was meditating for six months. And I had that white light experience so it was me feeling God's presence and I felt it right but I also have to trust it. And, uh, and there's little things I'm sure this will happen for you guys too. If you like stay sober, work the program, it'll show up in little ways. Um, and you'll just be like, Hey, look at that. Like it's, that's weird. It's not a coincidence. There's a tile up here somewhere that says like, if you don't believe in miracles, expect a coincidence, but I love it. I love that thing. Cause I've had so many random coincidences and, uh, and it'll just reinforce that your God is working in your life and he's there right next to you. And it's always going to be there next to you, just kind of loving you, you know? That's what I always needed was I felt so alone for my entire life and like nobody ever understood me. And then I felt God loving me. And I feel like through my sobriety and like continuing to work this program and, uh, and I always feel safe, you know, and I trust it. I was never able to turn my will and my life over to something I didn't understand. I didn't trust, you know? So it took a while for me to really like get a grasp on step three. I'm definitely not perfect at it. But to get a grasp on it and really like feel comfortable doing it, um, I had to believe that I was going to be okay if God took the wheel, you know. And uh, and for me these days, that's that's what made it work for me was trusting. Just like my daughter running behind my legs, I didn't see her for like the first six months of her life because her mom fucking split and ran to Ohio. When I first met her, she was terrified of me. You know, she didn't know me. And then after like doing it for a little bit, like consistently staying with her. Um, she trusts me, you know, and when she gets scared, she runs behind my leg and she knows that I'm, I'm daddy. I'm going to keep her safe. And, uh, and that's what I had to do with, with my God, you know, like I, I, I feel safe with them and I, I trust it and it took a while, you know, it takes a while to get to that point. Um, so if you're new here, like don't trip too much on like the God thing, like it'll just, it'll just show up right when you need it to. And it'll mean a lot and it'll just, it'll, It'll make you stop in your tracks and be like, what the fuck just happened? You know, as long as you're open to it, it'll happen for you. If you're closed off, you won't see a goddamn thing. You'll miss the miracle and it'll just pass right by you. Um, I have another little story for you. So with my with my daughter, um, so this one time she got scared, right? And she ran behind my leg and this like seven-year-old kid, my daughter's like one and a half at this point. This like seven-year-old girl walks up and wants to play with her. She's like, is that is that your daughter? I'm like, yeah, she's my daughter. She's like, hold on, she's yeah, she's like a year and a half old. She's like, you want to play? And uh, and I was like, oh, she's probably a little bit too young to play with you, you know. And then uh, and then my daughter got scared, ran behind my leg, grabbed my leg, 
And this girl <laughs> walked up to my daughter on my leg and like put her arms around her neck and said like, I wanna play. And I just about fucking hit this kid, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I calmed myself down for a second. I grabbed her arms and like pushed her back. And I was like, she's too young to play with you. But, uh, but that's something I had to learn in sobriety was like pausing before I act. Cause I definitely would have been in prison for hitting a little kid if I didn't do that shit, you know? Um, I get kind of protective of my little girl. Um, but pausing before you act, you know, you got to like think, give God a second to actually have something to say, you know, and, uh, and life will work a lot, a lot better for you. You won't end up in prison so much, you know? So <laughs> it'll, it'll just be easier if you think before you act, if you act instead of react is what they say in the program. And that's what they taught me here. They taught me how to grow up and, uh, and show up for my commitments and, and be a good person. And even though I have these really crazy thoughts that like now that you guys know me you probably don't think i'm a good person but now, i have a lot of crazy thoughts right but i don't act on any of this shit like i i take the next indicated step and i try to focus on what's the loving thing to do here and if i get mad i pause and i meditate for a second i let god into my life because without him i literally can't do anything but be mad so i let him into my body and my life it fills me up with love i feel at peace and then i can actually do the right action but without him I literally can't do shit, dude. Like the longer I stay sober, the more I realize that like I, I'm no good at running this this show here. So I just I kind of just leave it up to I'll leave it up to my God because I'll, I'll destroy this shit in a second. I've done that plenty of times. Anyway, that's my share. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, yeah.